1: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Welcome to the
2: Badass Women's Hour Extra Bits, our little gift for you podcast subscribers. This week, we're talking about the new book by Adele Parks, Lies, 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 And journalist Alex Holder introduces us to the concept of corporate gaslighting.
3: Underwear, armpit
4: hair, many imitators, but no
2: one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One,
4: two, three, four.
2: in the studio with us, Adele Parks! Hello! Yay! <laughs> Hello!
5: <laughs> so glad to be here.
2: Welcome back to the show, Adele. And last time, we were just saying last time you were in here felt like about five minutes ago and we were talking about your last book and now here you are back again with a I whole know. new book. It is a year,
5: but it's wow. flown by. Hasn't wow. it been the fastest year ever? Do you ever? do one a year? I your do, do yes. one a year. Yeah, it's one amazing. a year and this is my this is my 19th. No. And you're already on the next one? You're it's already, already, already done. What's so the next year's book is already
6: yeah. done? i just book you in for that one. Yeah, exactly. Wait, wait, wait. So
7: I'm pretty sure we had a conversation and I asked you if you can write uh, a bit with a character called Natalie. Based on the fact oh, you're on yeah. to the next book, am I going to find a character do called Natalie know, in the book? right,
5: I did say that. And I have yeah. let you down, because so I will make sure Natalie isn't, because we're editing. <laughs> so I can just do that. I, even, I, can, I might change the name of the heroine really and name. just go, yeah, call it Natalie. Yeah, just search and change. She can do that.
1: thing. Yeah. yeah, no, good reminder.
2: Well done. Come, so, this book, Lies, 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 is out now, and it's about that point in a marriage when a couple really want a baby and the strain and stresses that puts on it.
5: Yes. Yeah. It's actually, they're a little bit later on down in the year. We meet Daisy and Simon when their child is five. They So they've been together 20 years, though. So the first 15 years of their relationship was all about just getting this child. And um, we meet them when they have this five-year-old daughter. And Daisy just thinks, Wah, hey, aren't we lucky? This miracle's happened let, we're done but Simon doesn't accept that he's like oh the one last thing I want to give to this child I want to give her everything what I want to give her is a, a sibling and Daisy's sort of saying you know we're five years further on it was hard enough the first time let's just leave it alone but, and I don't want to upset any of your listeners, but I'm going to make a huge generalisation, but in a very male way, Simon takes himself off to kind of solve this problem. So he finds the best IVF clinic and he starts getting himself checked out, thinking, oh, if I'm checked out and it's all OK, then she might feel a bit more comfortable and might I might kind of talk back into it. And he meets the, the best IVF doctor in um, in the country who says to him, very sadly, he will not be able to father another child. But more dramatically... He never has fathered a child. Oh. Oh. It is an ooh, isn't it? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> And that's the first chapter, so I haven't ruined everything. But that is the first lie. And the book is called Lies, Lies, Lies. That's the first one. And interestingly, obviously, Simon just wanted to to kind of consolidate this family that means everything to him. Well, actually, after that news, Simon's a functioning alcoholic as well. That's the other thing going on in his world. And obviously, at that point, he functions ever so slightly less. Yeah. Mm, Quite significantly less. And and he just blows his his family apart. And it's such a shame because it comes from... a point of love but then he uncovers this this terrible lie and the tagline is you know lies, they can come back to hurt you mm. because however much you might think you've got away with a yeah. lie, they invariably or, do get uncovered. Or done a lie with good intentions, right? Yes, she possibly yeah. did, she yeah, possibly, possibly didn't. <laughs> she probably was saving her own bottom. <laughs> 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 but I'm not telling you, you have to yeah. read it. <laughs> right. No, but that that's the point. Sometimes some people do tell lies out of, and there are so many lies in this book and so many cover-ups and it's about their relationship, but it's also about their wider group, their friendship groups who all kind of Take sides Mm. their family you know because actually when something as explosive as this happens everybody has a different view um and it is it is huge so there's there's something for me really interesting about um that concept
2: of lying in relationships because it's impossible to be in a relationship with somebody without lying to them occasionally you know it's and yet there's this thing which is about the whole kind of concept of relationship is intimacy and deep knowing and deep mm. truth and being able to really know everything about the other person. And I wonder if, don't know what you think about this, but whether actually it's almost not possible for relationships to exist if we really know everything.
5: I th- Really, honestly, I mm. hope oh, he's not listening. <laughs> um, so, my husband and I, when we first met, I had—I'd been through a divorce, and so I had this huge thing about honesty. I mean, I think we all have a thing about mm. honesty, but I was brutal about it. So, sort of even the smallest lie, I, I'd be on him like a ton of bricks, and it was like there's no room for it. I'd rather you tell me terrible stuff that you think I don't want to know, <laughs> and we'll we'll deal with it. And so all the ex stuff came out, and you know, you've got to kind of yeah. work through those kind of things uh. in your relationship. And we had that deal moving forward. But, and this is the bit I hope he's not listening to, (laughs) I found further than, you know, 17 years into that relationship, I sometimes need a bit of space. And there's some Mm -hmm. things I think, no, I won't tell you how much that cost because you will be shocked or judgy or, you know, or kind of go, did you need it? Or just just something (laughs) as small as that. I think, no, I'm just going to have a bit of space there and I'm not going to tell you everything about me and also i think that's quite interesting and exciting them that he has to unpick it and discover it but he's not going to be pleased when he hears that <laughs> <laughs>
2: gonna <be> like, yeah, <laughs> where are the receipts
5: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And,
7: and other little things you know so in uh, i invited her in our conversation then was you know this is about the not the dark side of friendship, but it almost is in the interplay of social media. I feel like this one—it's the dark side of marriage. I mean, what else are you going to break for me? us? Yeah. What, what's, but actually, on this one is, is a very yeah.
5: positive spin on friendship. <laughs> okay. So this one is a sort of—I on purposely wanted to kind of throw over the first book, the, the last book I'd written. Mm-hmm. So because I had gone very dark about marriage, uh, about friendship, but the marriage was quite positive mm-hmm. in the last yes, one. Yeah, so I've kind of put spinet but just because I like to talk about different things. Mm. So, yes, this marriage gets very, very dark, but her support network and her friends really come into their own. Mm. And I thought that was quite interesting and important to talk about, having had a very bleak look at friendship yeah. but yes, I am I wonder what's next, hang on the, ne- mm, the next one actually do you know, the next one, it's not great for friendships or marriages <laughs> oh. what wow. is wrong wow. with me? The wrong. So yeah. Yes yeah. Yeah. I'm you... such
7: a bright smiley person <laughs> but you know, in, in going through this process, do you go out to dinner and watch different couples interactions and are you just watching the world around you and taking, because ultimately this is a real story for someone somewhere, so are you just taking things that are going on and sucking it in and then putting it in here. That is sort us. of what
5: writers do we don't tend to well I don't tend to t- take one person and write their story because the thing is we're all really still in the middle of our stories yeah. and so that that just doesn't work for the structure of a book but what I do do is I'm a bit like a magpie I pick the shiny pieces up of people mm. so if somebody has I don't know a tick or or a particular personality trait, I think, oh, that's quite interesting. I'm quite likely to use that because that gives a depth to a character mm-hmm. and, and makes them seem quite real. I think that the issue that Simon and Daisy are dealing with, the infertility issue, is is quite a widespread issue. Yes. Mm-hmm. Many of us are having um, meeting people that we want to have children with much later on in our lives and therefore it becomes a harder process. And so I think a lot of people will understand that part of it. But the book actually takes um, takes the readers into some some quite dark places, including prison, which um, yeah, which you know I haven't spent much time there, <laughs> um, but but it it's just. So that demanded actual going out and research. Mm. So not just happening to pick it up by the people you you happen to be knocking around with, but going out and talking to addicts, talking to people in prisons, talking to their family family members, uh, talking to people who've lived that kind of life and really understanding what it's about.
7: And remind us of your process. So to do a book a year. Yeah, do you have a process? Do you have a like, oh, I okay, do. It, yeah. I'm oh, right. such a girly swot. Right. <laughs>
5: yeah, so um, between, so we're now, you know, we're in September. Between sort of September and Christmas, I split my time between promoing the book that's out and starting to think of not next year's book, but the one after oh, that. I mean, she's and so editing next year's book. Right. Then in January, I will start writing 21's book, 2021's <laughs> book, and I will write it from January to June. I get up and do five days a week. I start at about 8 o'clock in the morning. I finish after I've written a 1,000 to 2,000 words. Sometimes that takes an hour. Sometimes that takes seven hours. It does just depend. (laughs) But I won't let myself leave my desk until I've done that. Amazing. And then the next morning, I always self-edit what I have written the day before. It's very disciplined. Mm. I mean, I think... Obviously, writing is about inspiration and creativity, but I think what people forget, it's also about a huge amount of discipline and just getting the words on the page. Adele,
2: we've loved talking to you. Lies, Lies, Lies is out now.
5: Badass
4: Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio.
1: She'll get you talking.
7: Yeah, so I was just going to say, actually, not appearing. I think it's always been there. We just haven't had the language for it or noticed it. And I can hand on heart say I went my whole career without ever noticing it, because, as you say, sometimes I can be a double agent for the patriarchy, (laughs) um, until a month ago. And I was furious. (sighs) I mean, I couldn't sleep furious
2: did you know what was happening when it was happening or was it something you saw and then you looked at back at later and you were like
7: ah, no in the moment someone blatantly said to me in that meeting you said this so i thought this and i don't understand why we're in this position right where we are right now and i was like you lying bleep 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 bleep. bleep bleep yes um and the fact that he could say it to me and think that I wasn't going to say anything, I was, I was just like, I if this is how you behave and I am a senior to you, I can imagine what all of the women who work for you have had to deal with. Uh, and he had equally started to speak to other colleagues and sort of just check how experienced I was. Wow! to build up a narrative of what he had assumed had happened. So from that point, I went full-on militant. (laughs) And I won, obviously. Um, But I was like, wow, this is what... Because, you know, I dip in and out of the workplace, Mm. as suits me. Um, And it was an eye-opener because, like, this is what women, black women, are having to deal with. And they don't have... The authority or power to call someone out, and it got to the point where he—we'd been in a meeting. He'd be like, "What well, can I? Can I? Can I finish?" No, you can't finish because I didn't say that, and there were minute takers in the room, so we can go back to those minutes if you really want to. Wow, but I was not having it, and it, 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 it. it Built a rage in me that I have not felt for a very long would, time. Would a young
6: Natalie been able to handle that situation? I like wouldn't that? have noticed it. No.
7: A lot about what I see now is very different. Yeah, and I joke about the double agent bit, but there is a, you know, I, I grew up in a household of men. I have six brothers. There's there are cues that I just didn't notice. Yeah. I bubbled along life pretty happily, mm-hmm. and then you start to realize, oh, oh, yeah, something's not quite right here. Um, And I'm also dealing with more senior men, more senior men now than I have my my whole career in a very different sort of dynamic. So, Well,
2: on the phone with us right now is Alex Holder, journalist who wrote the piece and says she herself has been a victim of corporate gaslighting. Hi, Alex. Hi. Tell us, when we talk about corporate gaslighting, can you give us a definition for it? Nat gave us a great example there, but how do we define it?
3: I think it's a... I guess, a toxic environment, a kind of subtle behaviour where you're made to doubt your own sanity and start to doubt your ability. Mm. And I think how it's playing out in the workplace right now for women is that women are often, like, we know there's pay gaps, we know there's fewer women at the top. As Nat's just said, there's, like, so, you know, so many more senior men were often managed by men. And the workplace is set up, it's like, it is male-dominated. And I think it's like a subtle behaviour that's happening where women are just, like, being undermined in meeting being talked over kind of their ideas are being dismissed they're not being part you know made to be part of like big decisions Mm. and then again they're not seeing themselves in the room you know in the room around them that no one's there to kind of reflect like then you know they're not seeing themselves in in senior management and just this kind of it started to pay out and I realized that women were automatically going oh I I think it's imposter syndrome I feel like a fraud for being here I'm doubting my ability to do this job maybe I'm just lucky to have this job, job and I shouldn't have it." And I just kind of thought, hang on a minute, it can't be all these women feeling like they're imposters. Maybe there's something in the environment Mm. that we're in. Mm.
7: So I was just going to say, as you're saying that, another term is, oh, we're being too emotional. You know, don't be emotional about Mm. this decision. You know, it's just, it's not, it's, you know, it's just, it's from higher up. And actually, we know, we know that a decision has been made based on personality or or based on something that's unfair, but being called out for being emotional or erratic, that sort of stuff, I think I've started to notice, not necessarily with me, but notice it in other people's stories.
3: Well, just the expectation... Sorry. The, the expectation that women are meant to act a certain way, I think we're, we're often kind of like, expected to be, say, the office mum or, mm. you know, volunteer as a first aider or be the person that kind of speaks for... You know, does, deals with everyone else's emotions in the office, and then well, we can't do all of that as well as our job. We start mm. to blame
7: ourselves. Yeah, we need to stop volunteering to be the office first aider and the fire warden. By the way, well, sometimes you get <laughs> volunteered for it though. That's when, the you, thing. when you when you when you do, uh, ladies at listening at home, notice the next time you do a fire test, everyone that's wearing the high vis jacket, usually women, who's in the mental, a- mental health first aid training women. Who's in the first aid training? Women. The men never volunteer, and senior men don't volunteer. So strangely, in my last workplace,
2: it was mostly men for all of that stuff. And really? They, yes, but they loved it. They loved having <laughs> well, the high-vis jacket. Fine, okay. They loved having the badge. Okay. They were very into it. Right. Um, it was the kind of authority that came with it. Um, Alex, do you think we're taking it Maybe are we taking it a bit seriously? Do, is it just that sometimes people are bad managers? They don't manage us very well, and we ourselves need to learn how to deal with that bad management.
3: Yes, but I think what's interesting is that women often go to to blame themselves and mm-hmm. to think that they are they question their ability or whether they should be doing something different, rather than going, "I am being badly managed here," or something. You know, something in this workplace is not working for this group of people.
2: Do you think, when we talk about gaslighting, is it... I just wonder if it's a bit dangerous to use a term that is so linked to really abusive relationships when it comes to work. is If we take that to HR, are they going to take it seriously?
3: Well, the trouble is, it's often really subtle... Like No one's going to say, mm. say no women can talk in this meeting. Mm. But we know from the stats and the research that's been, that's been done that women are talked over more often. And I guess this, like even writing the piece and researching it, I didn't ask for people to come forward who felt like they'd been gaslit. I asked for people to come forward who felt like they had imposter syndrome to the point where it was affecting their ability to work. And these are women that were going home, crying at night, not feeling, you know, having panic attacks, having kind of had, had depressive episodes after being badly treated in the workplace. And so it's not, I don't think anyone's going, like you even said, it up until the last couple of months. I don't think anyone's actually used this term in this way. I think we're all just suddenly looking around us going, oh, maybe that's how, like, how I've been feeling for the last few years. Yeah. Which is actually, and supported by it being a abusive relationship, it's damaging. Yeah. This is, it is, it is subtle and it is hard to go to HR about it. But maybe if we all start sharing our stories and you start to realize that these things add up, and maybe we would have a case to go to HR, and it's not just in that one meeting I was dismissed. It's kind of, you know,
2: can, and we, also, can we
3: add, can all the, yeah, also, can these stories add up to more?
2: I guess it's, you know, when we look at it, it's not a lot of the stuff that is gaslighting is not necessarily discrimination. Mm-hmm. It's just, somebody not like you or somebody having an agenda that's not your agenda exactly
7: and it's also yeah. subjective to the yeah. people watching or experiencing it so if you are the only woman in a group of men and something happens and you say do you think so and so was a bit out of order for that the other men not picking up on the cues or probably about no well that was just bill being bill or john being john or and to your point, Harriet, about relationships, I think the thing that we'll forget we've discussed it on the show on the show earlier, work is about dynamics between yeah, people. it's relationships, yeah, it is relationships, and so there are people sitting in organizations that are being emotionally abused by senior by their bosses, yeah, and they don't know what well, they don't think they are, but if they were if the dynamic was the same and it, it was in a relationship, they might have more triggers or. More language. And I think we need to, a bit like Carrie was saying, that togetherness of finding other people that it's happening to and just saying, what happened in this scenario? And almost building a case is the only way that you can approach HR at the moment to say, this is something that this individual does or this collective of leaders um, do within this organization to um, ultimately hold back a group of people. And it is ultimately mm-hmm. emotional. Manipulation, isn't yeah, it?
6: Alex. I'm I'm really fascinated actually about how you've gone, you know, looked at imposter syndrome because it's really got me thinking actually about this sort of gaslighting and how it feeds into imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome, because, like you said, Alex, if you're talking to women who are having panic attacks mm. and in a in you know in ter- like you know mental turmoil, to me that's not imposter syndrome. That is a sign of. Abuse, isn't yeah. it? When you're in, when you mm. get to that point, I mean, does imposter syndrome push you to the point where you're having panic attacks? But we're and...
7: rationalising it, so we rationalise it as imposter syndrome because potentially when you yeah. call it out within the workplace, mm-hmm. people give you a different answer. So then you, and it's exactly and you as it written. For you written, exactly.
3: Interesting, and that's Alex. why it is gaslighting. because gaslighting is to doubt your own sanity. Yeah. Yeah. And all the women I spoke to, many of them said. In fact, there was, a, there was a trend. A lot of them ended up leaving their workplace and mm. now work for themselves, and are flying. Their careers, you know, have literally soared. Mm. They were always good enough. They never needed to doubt mm. themselves. They mm. were just in the wrong environment. Yeah. And that, what I want women to do isn't to sit there and go, "I'm being gaslit." Just don't blame yourself. Just like, look around you and try and talk, that like you say, to other colleagues because if a few of you are feeling the same thing. So it's probably an external factor, not mm. an internal factor.
2: Yeah. And I think that's a really, it's so interesting you say that because I definitely had definitely had a period in my working life where I thought I was slightly losing my mind because all around me I could see this stuff happening and I was like, this is not right, and everyone was telling me it totally was. Mm. And when I finished that, it, I was the only woman in a group of men, They we all left the company, and I look at it now and I'm like, huh, out of all of us, I ended up with the most successful career and yeah mm. out of all of us i was the one that was constantly being told i was wrong mm. and yeah. that's the kind of it's the weird stuff that happens that when you're in it you think well you don't this you, is just you it. know especially if you're early on in your career because yeah. you know you're constantly
6: trying to you know learn aren't you so you you never feel in a secure place that you know what you're doing because you it's about you know gathering that experience so it's not until you know na you're now at a level where you know, you've got your own self-confidence and you've got your back, tra- you know, your back record and past track record to to go, actually, this is wrong. But, you know, if you're in your mid-20s and you've been in your career five or six years.
7: And also being able to assess a power dynamic. So, again, bringing it back to relationships. If someone comes to your desk and says, you didn't send me the report, and they're more senior, what are you going to do? You'll yeah, probably yeah. say, uh, oh, I forgot. Even though you know you sent the report. Mm-hmm. So... Something we need to work
2: on, um, Alex. What would be one tip for somebody who thinks they might be being gaslit at work?
7: Definitely stop internalising.
3: So don't blame yourself. You're probably not the problem. And to go and talk to as many peers in your office as possible, mm-hmm. and start writing it down. Because to be gaslit, like you say, to doubt your insanity, you could start to go, "What did I really? You know, did that really happen in that meeting?" Whereas mm-hmm. if you start to like keep a little diary, and you're like, "Oh yeah, every..." You know, every meeting that happens, I get that my idea gets dismissed or mm. I'm treated like that. So that you know you've got it kind of like written down in black and white. So you don't start to doubt what is actually happening. Yeah.
2: Fabulous. Alex Holder, thank you so much for joining us.
3: One, two,
7: three, four.
2: This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and MS Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour, HR, um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more